Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of MFJ Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com. And I'm joining you here today from our new studios at IDG's new building in Framingham, Mass. It's very exciting to be out of the home office for a change. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on YouTube on our Tech Talk channel there, and we welcome all of our viewers to join in this conversation today with questions of your own. Our IDG's social media editor, Michelle Davidson, will be watching the feed on LinkedIn and will pass along those questions to me to pass along to our guest. So we will do our best to get to your questions as well as all of mine. Joining me today is Sujan Turlapati, who is the CIO and Senior Vice President of IT at Optive Incorporated. Headquartered in Denver, Optive is a $3 billion cybersecurity integrator, providing a wide range of managed security services, consulting, and technology solutions used by 75% of the Fortune 500. The company currently counts more than 7,000 customers among its crop. Sujan joined the company in 2020 to lead Optiv's global IT strategy and digital transformation work, which includes overseeing product development, enterprise security, and operational excellence initiatives. His IT leadership background is very multitudinous. He has worked across several industries, from fintech and telecommunications and aerospace to supply chain, manufacturing, education, and consulting. Prior to joining Optiv, right in the midst of last year's pandemic, in the middle of 2020, he was the director of IT at Arrow Electronics and also at Fiserv. Sujan, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mary Fran. Appreciate the time. Let's start out talking a little bit about how you have seen the CIO role evolving, both at Optive and elsewhere among your colleagues during this pandemic era that we're all working through. I'm especially interested in talking about the ways, and you and I discussed this earlier, that you're accelerating business partnerships, uh, both inside the company and with customers. Yeah, the pandemic has definitely accelerated the, the role of CIO. It put the role of CIO at the center stage. Because mm -hmm. when companies had to switch from the traditional model, uh, kind of in-person and the retail models that we were familiar with, to switching to something digital overnight, in mm -hmm. a sense, right? Our organization had to switch overnight, convert their systems, uh, that put technology at the forefront, that put mm -hmm. the CIO role at the forefront. Kind of, we were talking about digital transformation for many years, but there, there, was, a, there was a huge acceleration that came with the pandemic. Yes. That put the digital transformation at the center, the technology leader at the center stage, mm -hmm. and everything was enabled with the technology. The fact that our productivity still is high mm -hmm. as organizations, the, the fact that the economy is still doing good, technology played a very, very significant role in enabling that. Mm -hmm. And we have seen organizations switch to remote hybrid models as we are kind of getting back into a hybrid model or getting back to work. The technology mm -hmm. is still playing a very central piece or central uh, accelerator for all of those. Yes. So 
CIOs, I think if you're in this role, this is a very, very good time to be in this role. Well, and I know that you are justifiably proud of the reputation you had before you even got to Optiv at Arrow Electronics and at Fiserv as someone who focused on being a business partner and that you like the uh, unifying all things digital is something that Im- involves a lot of strategy, a lot of simplification, uh, simplification, and then execution. So talk a little bit more about uh, just about that, about how that is one of the themes for your own leadership. Being in IT uh, in my career for many years, I've seen how IT connects different dots within the organization. Mm-hmm. From a marketing, finance, sales, services, IT plays a very critical role, not just from a systems perspective, but understanding the business, mm-hmm. what the business is planning to go, where they want to go with, with, with their strategy. IT is that connectivity tissue. Mm-hmm. And the role of CIOs from where we are today on being the system implementation partner has transformed that to be more of a business partner, more of a trusted advisor. The, the, the phrase that I would like to use more is co-creating solutions with the business. Mm-hmm. We have a, now a unique opportunity where we can sit with the business, business comes to us with the business problems, focus more on what they're looking for and the technology IT focus more on okay, how do we get to solving the problem? How do we sure. make those uh, enablement or bringing the right tools and technology? But a lot of focus on people and process is getting a lot of uh, traction in the la- last couple of years, especially with the pandemic. Like, okay, we have this problem. How can we solve this? Mm-hmm. Instead of just trying to just jump to a solution, okay, we were we are asking questions on okay, tell us more about the business problem. Tell us more mm-hmm. about the people that are involved here. Tell us more about the processes that we can look at before we can start to automate or digitize or any of the solutions that we can deploy. Yeah, I think that role of uh, CIO is now becoming more of the trusted advisor, more of the business partner, and have a seat at the table to co-create the solution. Mm-hmm. Well, and as, as you pointed out when we talked earlier, a lot of this has to start with a great deal of empathy for what business people are going through and also a lot of conversations. Because when I think about how many times in, over the years on CIO.com or in CIO Magazine, we wrote about being the partner with the business. This has been a, a very enduring theme among IT leaders for a long time. But talking about a concept and, and wishing it will happen and then actually making it happen, that's, that's always the junction. That's the part that I'm interested in finding more out about how you did it. And uh, you have a story about um, an, 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 org- an operation now that you have with your partner on the operations side, your operations leader, and how you, uh, tell us about that, about how you ended up working with your EVP of operations on uh, something that was going to be of direct benefit, because it didn't just, it didn't just happen in a memo. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't. And it, start, it all started out, I mean, when I was a developer back in the day, I mean, it was all very analytical in my approach. Mm-hmm. Give me the requirements, I'll go code it for you, I'll develop the code. And it was more on if the requirements are well-defined, I can go get it done. And if we run into issues, we will figure it out because that's just the engineering mind, uh, mm-hmm. mindset saying, okay, just solve the problem. Now, as, as I grew up in this, uh, in this career of mine and then kind of, trying to understand the business more, I realized that there's empathy that plays a big role in this. When you're having those conversations with your business partners, mm-hmm. 
is more of active listening. It is more of, okay, tell me more about it, hearing them, understanding their point of view and saying, okay, that makes sense, but let me ask you this and having better conversations. And that mm-hmm. relationship building does not happen in one setting because the trust has to be built yes. over many, many sessions. So that's yes. where you kind of go to the conversation saying, okay, help me understand your problem. I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you tried this different uh, options here? So that trust building, that uh, partnership building or relationship building played a very critical role in first bringing the two organizations together, operations and IT. And then from an IT perspective, we still have to deliver something. This is where the acceleration path, uh, the digital mm-hmm. acceleration comes in. We all have been hearing digital transformation for many years. And that's, I think it, and uh, it's, it's, it's used a lot more than it should have been. Uh, acceleration takes digital transformation to a different level where it does take the way you look, look at deploying solutions is just not a technology implementation. It's more about are you adding, adding value to the business? Mm-hmm. And are you adding value to the business in small chunks? This is where the digital acceleration is more of think big from a digital transformation perspective, but start small, mm-hmm. look at some quick wins and move fast. Speed, speed is a very, very, uh, kind, of, kind of gain very uh, prominence in terms of how do you deliver value at, at the speed of the business. Mm-hmm. So that acceleration with thinking big on transforming business value, customer experience, you can, you can look at all different things, start small, deliver some value to the business, gain that trust, move fast. That, that helps build those relationships that, that will take your relationship to a lot new level with the business operations. And the mm-hmm. same thing for the business. They're like, okay, I can trust. I can, I can go to the technology leaders. I can go to the technology teams. And, and even, I mean, we, we see this from CIOs. Uh, in some cases, business, they already have found a solution. They come to us saying, okay, this is what I want you to implement or deploy right. Now that's changing. It's like, okay, before we go there, let's have a conversation. Let's have a um, workshop. Maybe bring all ideas together even <laughs> before we talk about technology. Yeah. Well, and I mentioned the, uh, tell us more about the project that you undertook with your EVP of operations. Because uh, the, the idea for that or the relationship started building, you were all at an all-hand sales meeting on a panel together, right? Yes. Uh, take take yeah. us back to that and then what you did after that. <laughs> Yeah, we were on a panel. Uh, we have our core theme for the panel conversation. This is during our sales kickoff was operational excellence. Okay, mm-hmm. how do we drive operational excellence? Because we, we transact, our number of transactions are pretty significant. And then if you look at it from a transaction 360 or a customer 360 or product 360, there's so much data that we have. We were trying to figure out how do we get value out of the data so that mm-hmm. we can get to some actionable intelligence. So uh, uh, from that panel conversation, we had some follow-up conversations on uh, the business uh, actually came to us with a business problem saying, okay, I'm looking at ways to better build pricing models, better pricing structure for our customers uh, so that we can have a higher rate of win rate from a deal uh, closing perspective. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, that's a good problem to uh, see where technology can help. Yes. But even before we started to go down the path of, okay, let's build a tool, or a, a data model or an ML model there, we started with, okay, who are the people responsible for this? Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the people play a role. Uh, these people are leaders in the, in the business, in the sales services operations that are responsible for setting the pricing. They're also responsible for change management, ensuring that the sales team have proper training to mm-hmm. use the models. 
and what should the model do for them and how do we how, how is the output of the model how do we consume that yes so that's where we had a lot of conversation let's start with the people we started then process and then the technology came in by the time the technology came in it was very much okay we know the problem we know the requirements we let's try to do a very basic model let's not try to over engineer it mm-hmm. once we got the model and the business buy in we said okay let's now put some kind of meet behind it saying okay let's take it to the next level and automate it and then build in bring in some advanced machine learning capabilities into it so that the data can tell us things that we are not familiar with or the questions that we are not asking the data mm-hmm. the machine learning can tell us that so that gave us a very different perspective and the value that we were able to deliver to the business it was embedded back into the business process this is where mm-hmm. we put the model build the model took the output of the model and embedded back into their CRM system. Yes. So from an end user perspective it was I don't have to look at 10 different things mm-hmm. to figure out what my next step should be it was right there right next to the opportunity right next to the deal so that they have the rating and they can make better decisions. Interesting. Well, I know and you'd mentioned too that you got a lot of good insight on this um, you called it a day in the life of sales. Is this is this something you yourself went and spent a day in the life, or did you send a team to uh, track around with your sales folks? It was it was a combination. I had we had different levels of uh, conversations with different leaders within the organization. Mm-hmm. So I started a conversation with our sales leader at the top, saying, "Okay, how can we help? How can technology help? Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, capabilities digitization can we bring?" And the question was more about I don't know. Let's see. Uh, then we started. Okay, let's maybe sort of trying to say okay, tell us a problem, we'll go solve it kind of thing. We said, how about we have someone from IT go sit with your salespeople, have a side like a conversation with them, maybe follow, uh, shadow their day in their life, mm-hmm. and go through this step by step process. Help us. Okay, when what do you do at this stage? What do you do at this stage? Kind of follow that document that out of that we were like whoa there's there's opportunity here if we can automate maybe 20% of what they do that would be a pretty significant with the volume of uh, transactions that we have within within our business and i think we have a very good story now where we are trying to look at that day in the life kind of take those uh, kind of findings and put them into a requirements mm-hmm. and then okay well, let's identify opportunities of digitization and use or build more of the data-driven culture back into the sales. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, let's shoot up next to that 30,000-foot view. I always enjoy looking at all of the disruption that has been happening with businesses in the last two years and just the in, uh, the impact of the pandemic. Um, tell us about how uh, we talked about how that accelerated the digital journey, but did it also end up adjusting some of the ways that you approach business or the business models themselves that Optiv uses? It does, uh, especially in our industry, we are a technology-driven company. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone at Optiv is um, cybersecurity focus uh, in terms of their skill set and sure. that's what the competency that we provide to our customers and also working with 400 plus partners within this space. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very uh, complicated industry with so many different players uh, and the complexity just gets com- more complicated with, with uh, the cyber threat that everyone is uh, right. I mean, that's top of the mind from the board level all the way up to your operations mm-hmm. to make sure that we have uh, right security, right design, uh, principles built into, into, into our models, into products and all that. So it was, it was an it was an interesting uh, kind of a transformation that we had to take from an 
technology perspective. We talked about a little bit uh, with the pandemic, we had to switch to this hybrid model or kind of remote model in the mm -hmm. early stages. And the whole idea of how do we simplify, streamline, and also equalize the experience when you're working from home, working in the office, working at now if, uh, when people are starting to travel, how do we bring that e experience equality across uh, all the different avenues or vectors that we have that we need to make sure it's not a different experience, different learning curve or different onboarding uh, aspect. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, one of the initiatives that I have is a modern digital workplace that did factor in, okay, let's assume that we are going to be in hybrid for a long time, forever maybe. Mm -hmm. And how do we support that? Uh, what are the tools that we can bring in? How do we bring some of those people aspects? I mean, the simple water cooler conversations are no longer happening. Yes. How do we still have this connectivity within the within the employees so that they can have those conversations and mm -hmm. are there tools that can help. And they definitely, I think we are seeing the innovation come from all the different major vendors in software with collaboration capabilities, mm -hmm. taking to the next level, you get some insights on how you don't have focus time on your calendars. Maybe put some time on your calendar to just get so slow down, especially with Zoom meetings. Mm. Because it's Zoom meetings, you're not literally like moving from one conference to another, walking across your corporate offices, you're kind of stuck at your seat and then you are having your meetings back to back. Yes. There's no, there's no uh, break there. So that's, that, that, is, that, that could be a burnout. I mean, that, that's something that we mm -hmm. may not get, but there, is, there are a lot of studies that are definitely highlighting that saying, okay, let's make sure that employee burnout is factored into your employee experience. Right. And ensure there's, there's start and stop to your, uh, to your meetings or the day, day mm -hmm. between the meetings, or make sure you have those. So it has completely changed. From a security perspective, we were more focused before the pandemic more on protecting your data center, protecting your office, yes, and then all the connections. Now, with, with this remote structure, uh, we are responsible for 2,500 offices. That includes the home offices that are coming into the mix. Mm -hmm. so how do we protect the home environment? Because, I mean, the, the cyber criminals are all over the place. I mean, the, all they need is one user to click on one link to oh, yeah. open up. The opportunities for them. Yeah. So it is it is getting complicated, but at the same time, it's uh, this is where back to your earlier question, the technology, the CIO role becomes far more critical. Mm -hmm. Well, and that um, that increasing size of the threat vector is something. I mean, it certainly is front and center for you as the CIO of a cybersecurity company, but it seems to be front and center for CIOs in any industry. Uh, that has been a concern. Now, about 70% of Optiv's um, people that work for Optiv are now working remotely. And when you think going forward, you think it will still be a pretty significant percentage that the remote and hybrid workplace has truly, it has truly arrived. Yes. I, I mean, Optiv was in a kind of a distributed model even before the pandemic, but this okay. pandemic we just made uh, more uh, kind of a standard structure of uh, the hybrid remote uh, yeah. workplace. Now, it just became the new normal. So. Right. Are there any beyond um, you know, improving telecommunications and collaboration systems, are there any particular technologies or approaches that you have either looked into or found in terms of something you're doing now that maybe wasn't done two years ago, just in terms of helping that hybrid environment? Um, are there, or are there advances coming in technology that you're looking forward to them arriving? Yeah, one of the approaches that we are taking, this is, this is coming from our uh, 
from our CEO mm-hmm. is reimagining our work environment, reimagining mm-hmm. our offices. One of the uh, concepts that yes. we are evaluating now is embracing the model of a hub or culture, where our offices, instead of traditional offices with cubes and uh, office rooms or conference rooms, we are converting them to be more of a hub where uh, we allow our employees to come through that and then get enriched with collaboration, with mm-hmm. training. Maybe we can bring in our partners and customers and have that conversations are a lot more uh, even driven, a lot more purpose-driven rather than just coming into the office and doing your work and going back to home. Mm-hmm. We are converting our offices to be more of that enriching uh, places. That's a different approach that I think is uh, that's something that we haven't seen maybe two years ago okay. where uh, the central uh, the offices are becoming more of that, okay, let's use this for collaboration more than just work um, or for your working mm-hmm. uh, work office kind of uh, structure. And technology plays a very big role in that as, as we start to enable those collaboration capabilities. How do we bring that experience you're in, in the office talking to someone and you still have folks joining in remotely? How do we make sure that you are inclusive of them in yes. terms of okay, are they contributing to the conversation? Are they are they engaged? Because sometimes, I mean, maybe now it's a little bit better two years ago when you have folks on the call and then like 10 folks in the conference room and then the remaining team remote. Sometimes the conversations in, in person are a lot more, okay, you're collaborating, you're talking, and then mm-hmm. people on the phone were kind of left out. Yes. But that's changing. And that's where technology can help. Yes. Technology can make it more inclusive, more collaborative, mm-hmm. make it more effective at the end of the day. And then at the end of the day, I think if we can make all productive, I mean, that's a win for the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a conversation, I think, last summer with the, the CIO at the Washington Post, and he was talking about uh, the importance of democratizing what happens in meeting rooms and that that needs to be, you know, that that is a really kind of a central tenet of what needs to happen with collaboration technology these days. We have a question from our alert and um, avid listeners and watchers today. would like you to talk about the technologies that uh, you're interested in or you have viewpoints on that are making security systems smarter and intelligent and more versatile. What what tops the list for you today, and what do you see coming? The central piece of uh, from a cybersecurity perspective is still data. Okay. Data still plays a very big role because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, if you look at uh, I was reading an article uh, uh, from a from a research institute. They say like seventy three percent of the world population is on internet. Mm-hmm. Two-thirds of the world's GDP is digitized, which means I mean, that there's all this digital aspects that are happening and data can bring all that together. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. from a cybersecurity perspective, you have your cybersecurity alerts, signals, uh, incidents coming in, and then you have some kind of curation that you need to make sure that you're going after the right signals. You're, going, you're looking at the right alerts because I mean, you get tons of signals. And when mm-hmm. I say tons, we're talking about petabytes of data. How do we how do we make sure that we are focused on the right alert so that we can have instant response? We can have mm-hmm. some kind of protocol set up for um, ensuring that that doesn't become a major issue for your organization. Mm-hmm. So data plays a very big role. So with data comes machine learning, AI, and then the new trend that we are seeing is combining your business data with your. When I say combine, I mean like, like kind of looking at your business data and then your security operational data, your telemetry data. 
Okay. Finding the signals, looking at your business data, and then be able to marry that and look for a proper signal so that you are making the proper decision. Mm-hmm. That's where I think machine learning can make big difference because from a scale perspective, it can bring all that uh, kind of the compute power and the processing power to en- enable you to make proper decisions. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, to the to the question there, it's more on how do we how do we have um, data-driven culture within these organizations, and then data plays a bigger role in ensuring that you are getting better insights, mm-hmm. actionable interviews, and all that. When you'd mentioned, too, with the changes in how you're using office space uh, at Optiv, that there's also a great opportunity to reinforce various messages through training. Because I think of that, there's a, a huge, I think it's 70% of the insider problems in cybersecurity still come from phishing. And that um, one of the unfortunate trends that's rising now is, I think you told me about it, ransomware as a service. So uh, tell us, tell us what you know about that, and is there, uh, you know, is there any miracle solution companies should be looking at to avoid that? It sounds like employee education is pretty much where they need to start. Yes, your weakest link still in your entire ecosystem is still humans. <laughs> All it takes is one email to get get through your uh, through your email system, and then a user to click on it, and then it could be intentional, unintentional. I mean, it could be. I mean. The, the the hackers and the, the email phishing is is becoming is getting smarter and smarter. Mm-hmm. So, staying on top of it with an awareness program for employees is always is, is key. Just ensuring that you have proper awareness training. Again, training could be structured training where you can go and take probably thirty minutes training to get to know what are the different uh, cybersecurity uh, kind of concepts that you need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. But more important is contextual training. You need to have a con- contextual training that is not a 30 minutes training, not a lot of like a, like a two day training kind of thing, maybe three minutes because of, I mean, back to some of the trends that we are seeing, the human attention span is now less than goldfish. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, I think if we beat the goldfish by a second, we're probably like yeah. eight or nine seconds. Sounds like we're in a heap of trouble there, doesn't it? <laughs> it, so. it is because with everything else that's going on outside of the workplace is mm-hmm. definitely factoring in. So how do you how do you bring that cyber awareness into your workplace with two minute videos or three minute videos yeah. or a contextual video? If you are sending out a password change email to your uh, employees, add an additional two minute video training into that mm-hmm. so that they know. Because we cannot take for granted that people took training back in September and then now in November, December. Yeah. Oh yeah, they they, they know what they did, but uh, with with the attention span and with the, with the kind of multiple different projects and pressures that we are under. Mm-hmm. It's always to just add the one little thing of, okay, now that you're changing your password, click here for best practices. Keep it as simple as that. Yeah. That contextual training, keeping that cybersecurity at the top of their mind mm-hmm. and every opportunity that you get will make that awareness training a lot more effective. Yes. Well, I can remember going through uh, here at IDG, going through some of those security training courses. And I liked them when they were more gamified and you got a score so you could feel like you were competing a little bit. But I also noticed that it would make me very hyper alert for a while to the point where even if it was a legitimate email from the HR department, 
I would report it as phishing. And, you know, and actually, and the security folks here were actually very praiseworthy about that. You know, they said, well, good job. We're glad you're paying attention to that. But this is actually real, this one. So I've, <laughs> I've talked with other CIOs who have set up, I think, at MITRE Corporation. Uh, John Wilson and I talked about this in the last uh, Leadership Live show about kind of training that shows up in the moment where there's been, especially, you know, when you're testing the phishing problems and limits in the company, and it would pop up if someone didn't do the right things. So it was very, it was both private because it was just for them, um, but it also addressed the problem in the moment, which I think we're all, maybe with that attention span being less than goldfish, this is probably what we need. Um, you've also, on a technology front, you've accelerated the shift to things like a more flexible software-defined network internally at Optiv. I think I was reading about that. Is that does that fall into the area of smarter things that you're seeing your customers doing now and moving to other network technologies? Yes. Yeah, SD-WAN is one of our initiatives that we launched this year. Mm -hmm. Again, with the switch to remote workplace and not everyone coming into an office, mm -hmm. general general assumption is when you're within your four walls of your office, it's secure and it's it's all, I mean, every, uh, your controls are in place when you're in office, uh, not necessarily. I mean, that, that, that uh, notion of when you're within office is secure, uh, it cannot be taken for granted. We, we need mm -hmm. to expand that. And then with the remote, 2,500 home offices connecting uh, to our network, we had to take a different approach in terms of how we set up our data center connections and mm -hmm. the back the backhauling of our network data. So SD-WAN definitely opened up a lot of opportunities. And then we now are embracing a lot more of the cloud-based networking. Mm -hmm. And also moving into more SASE structure going into next year, this will just open up opportunities where we can have uh, employees connect from anywhere, still secure, still connected mm -hmm. uh, to the right applications. And then if we were to expand this globally, it just opens up opportunities for us. Yes. This is one of the foundational projects that we did this year to kind of enable us for the growth that we're looking into next year and the mm -hmm. following years. Okay. Okay. Excellent. And I think we had also talked about zero trust security principles. That has been coming up a lot uh, with just any CIO in any industry that I've talked about. But that's something I think you were quoted in one story saying that zero trust is what we preach to our customers. So we're applying that to us. So you're, you're drinking your own champagne, as it were, on zero trust. Um, did that... Did that lead to, or, or did that lead to any sort of restructuring or reorganization within your IT organization? Because you have about 150 full-time technologists that you, that work for you. Um, how did how do you go about um, changing something as fundamental as that when in getting zero trust in place? Yeah, again, this is another term that's uh, very widely used, especially in, in our industry. Zero mm -hmm. trust. Uh, we all heard trust but, trust but verify kind of a principle, yeah. but we are taking a little bit uh, different stance on it, verify and trust. So I'm kind of taking it to the next level on making sure that mm. okay, you cannot trust any device, any people, any network, just start with that assumption. And then okay. how, do you, how do you build around that so mm -hmm. that you are built, built for uh, the uh, kind of the threat vectors that you are dealing with on a daily basis that could be coming from a mobile device, your laptops, or in, anywhere in your network. So embracing that as a client zero uh, is something that we are very passionate about. Mm -hmm. How do we embrace a kind of uh, drink your own champagne kind of thing methodology to us? And then 
we are we have identified areas where we we should improve. We have identified where we are doing good, and that's uh, it's it's an ongoing project. It's not a one-time deal. And every organization looking at zero trust, uh, it's it's a journey that you need to go through. And there mm-hmm. are avenues there where you can start with identity. You can start with your network, your endpoint, and then kind of mature your model um, over um, kind of like a two-year, three-year roadmap. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you can just deploy one solution and, and kind of say, okay, we have a zero trust now. It's 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 a lot more complicated, right. but embracing the principles, embracing that concept, again, starting with very basic people, process, technology, apply that to zero trust. Well, and that reminds me so much of all the various technologies and approaches that get applied to any big, far-reaching digital transformation. It's. I remember years ago, someone asking the. I think he was the CIO of General Motors. You know, you've been working on digital transformation. When will you be done? And he just laughed and he said, "Well, you're never done because the minute you stop, <laughs> you know, someone overtakes you competitively." Um, I wanted to drill into a a very important and key technology project that you you mentioned in passing. Your pricing optimizer, and that is that is work that came out of the client journey um, that you've, the discussions you've had with your sales leaders and with your operations uh, leaders as well. Uh, tell us more what that is, uh, why you needed it, how that project is going. I just wanted you to kind of dive into the details to the extent you can, because this is all internal. <laughs> it's an internal project. We started this, I believe, last October. Mm-hmm. Time frame is when uh, we were having those conversations on operational excellence and how how can we use more data to have better pricing calculations, better uh, grading system within within our deal management? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was it was a business driven initiative. Yes. And uh, I'm a huge proponent of uh, working on initiatives that are coming from the business. Yes. The business is at the end of the day they they are the ones who are working with the customers. They are the ones who are delivering products to the customers. So we took that approach. Uh, like I mentioned before, we those conversations were very very. Uh, informal in a sense where we are trying to get to not to try to solve a problem but trying to understand the problem yes and then how do we how do we make it we, we always have i mean as an as an engineer uh, this is something that when we when we hear things we we design in our minds saying hey this is what i this is how we can solve it like, i think i know mm-hmm. what i can do here so we had to kind of slow it down a little bit and say okay let's not try to solve the problem let's try to understand the problem from a business perspective Mm-hmm. And then partnering with the business and ensuring the business, do you have the right people to drive this? Yeah. Because we see some initiatives where it sounds like a great idea, but it cannot, it cannot deliver the value or the outcomes uh, that were initially promised because there was no proper change management, no champions for you to take it to the next level within the business. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that the business is set up for success in terms of having the right people, people leadership, uh, executive buy-in from the top, from the mm-hmm. business. And then look at, okay, what can we do in terms of processes? This is where process excellence, process automation comes into the picture. How do we bring all that into the mix? And then finally, we were able to get to the technology, which was, which was not that complicated. I mean, the solution is, is built on uh, data science models and the machine learning models that we built into the, into the pricing algorithms there. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was very much much more simplified for us from a solution perspective because we took care of the, the people process because in digital transformation you said I mean this it's a journey there's no there's no end point here it's just an right. ongoing thing one of the key aspects of transformation is adoption 
that's where I think the transformation projects kind of fail is, okay, I deploy this great solution. It looks great. I mean, maybe we have the right processes. Mm-hmm. Or how are you measuring it? How are you monitoring? How is the adoption? Mm-hmm. And then that adoption should be tied to the business outcomes. Did it deliver on the outcomes that we expected? That outcome could be in financial terms, like impact your revenue, impact your gross profit. Those are all things that play into that mix. That's how uh, IT project needs to be measured, not okay, we completed this project on time, on budget, we are good, now let's move on to the next. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that the IT projects are tied to business outcomes. Yeah. Well, and for, you know, for your average or even your above average sales folks that are dealing directly with customers, they're probably among the few people at Optiv that are not themselves software engineers uh, if, if they've got careers in sales. What was the before and after effect for them in, in this new algorithm, the pricing? Because you embedded it into your customer relationship management, your CRM system. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, is, it is embedded into CRM system that they're very familiar with. That's where they spend a lot of their time within that uh, within that application. I mean, that's how pretty much uh, their day starts. Sure. So embedding that back into the core system and then keeping the output in a term in a in a way that is easy for them to consume. It's not a complicated uh, presentation layer where they need to drill down into multiple different things. Mm-hmm. Where they need to learn something to uh, how to use those embedded analytics. It was very simple simple uh, way to understand that is uh, very required actually very little training for them to just take the output of that and then say, okay, I'm now able to make a better decision. And it's just augmenting their tribal knowledge with something that is uh, machine learning driven. So that that made the job a lot easier. Well, and the fact that it didn't require two weeks of special training has to just be a big thumbs up for almost anything we try to add to our business environments these days. Yeah. Yeah, as part of that, I mean, one of the larger initiatives that I have is uh, we have a lot of applications, as mm-hmm. to many organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the biggest uh, complaint from the business is that you have way too many applications. I mean, and then it takes me, it, it, it's very easy to deploy technology. That's the easiest thing. Yes. You can, you can spin up a SaaS service with, uh, by swiping your credit card and mm-hmm. it's up and running. It's like, how does that integrate back into your core? How does that integrate back into the day in the life of your employees? Mm-hmm. And how seamless can you make that experience so that it doesn't require training that, that we just talked about? So that's where we are We are looking at how do we build a platform of platforms? We'll have core platforms, the major platforms. How do we bring all that together? Mm-hmm. And then adding on top of that is is data. And that's, that's again, I go back to the data, the analytics. That, that's how we can build organizations to be a lot more data-driven. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that that has definitely come up as a big theme as we've talked about the way you lead as a CIO, that you can talk all you want about transforming business models, but it really comes down to changing habits, making things kind of easy and intuitive, and that can be difficult with complex technologies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, um, I like to ask about innovation ecosystems. This is, we've talked about your pricing optimizer, about the getting closer to the business and all. Are there areas, new areas that you plan to explore next with demands that you're maybe seeing for new digital services for Optiv's customers or things that you're using with your partner companies? Yeah, that, this ecosystem, and we deal with, uh, like I mentioned before, like 400 plus partners. We have excellent mm-hmm. great people that we work with across the industry. 
directly with, with our, within our partner ecosystem, within with our customers. Uh, this is where Optiv is looking at playing a bigger role on how do we bring all, how do we simplify this? It, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy task with the yeah. industry that we are in, with the number of solutions that are out there and with the constant threat that we see in the market. Uh, that's where Optiv is looking at how do we become that trusted cyber advisory and a solutions partner, solutions leader to our partners I mean, this is one of our taglines that we have is uh, let Optiv manage your risk so that you can secure your potential, whatever mm -hmm. that potential is. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're in retail, healthcare, any industry, how do you go to your, your, your best performance or accelerate your performance with the right solutions? That's where Optiv plays a role. This is where we're looking at working very closely with our partners. How do we build that ecosystem with the partners? Okay. Looking at API integrations or how do we integrate uh, multiple different uh, services with, with our partners so that we can get uh, the data uh, visibility that we need so that we can make better decisions for mm -hmm. our customers. So that ecosystem, uh, that partnership with our partners is very key for us. Yeah. At the same time, how do we simplify that for our customers? Because if you're in retail, if you're in healthcare, if you're in a non-technology industry, cybersecurity may not be top of your mind. Maybe that's not something that that's your core business. Mm -hmm. Your business is just running your your retail stores or running your running your manufacturing sure. or production facilities, uh, but how do we make how do we simplify that for them so that they know when to look for something and then be able to take an action on it? Mm -hmm. So that that's where I think the simplification um, as part of the strategy comes in, and how do we execute on it yeah. in terms of presenting the data back to the customers? Well, and this is actually the first in your own career. This is the first time you have been in a cybersecurity technology company as the CIO. Um, and there's a question related to that um, from our audience that you, then when we talked about uh, working on the sales initiative to improve deal closures, the pricing optimizer, and how it used uh, the machine learning modeling what data initiative have you been a part of that's had the largest impact on an organization? And you can reach back to some of your, your other, to Arrow Electronics or a Fiserv or before, if, you, if you'd like. I mean, data, I mean, uh, like we talked about, is, is still a, is, is a new currency, the new gold, the new oil. I mean, we, we heard mm -hmm. about all this with the data. So anything that you can do, to, do with the data and then augment that with, with this advanced um, machine learning and AI capabilities is always going to deliver value. And if you can tie the data to business outcomes, it's definitely going to tie the value. Uh, back in uh, at Arrow Electronics, we did very similar project for pricing uh, optimizer for a very complicated business. Mm -hmm. It's a low volume, high transaction value uh, that we build pricing models that actually won uh, one of your CIO 100 awards back a few years ago. Uh, very similar model again because it's data driven and it, because it has a direct impact on your top line or bottom line depending on the models that we build as definitely uh, something that every organization to look at is okay let's look at your data look at your data governance look at your data management look at your master data systems of record so that you mm -hmm. have you can you can have a good data hygiene this is something that we use uh, a lot at Optivist. How do we bring that hygiene, which goes back to the people aspect, the behavior aspect? Mm -hmm. Just because you can change something doesn't mean you should be changing that. I mean, you need to understand, okay, what's the downstream impact, any upstream impact of changing these attributes, and how can we keep it as hygiene as possible so that at the end of the day, people are making decisions on that data itself, and then that decision could be um, 
adding more value to the organization or it could be making a bad decision because the data was not was not structured properly. Okay, interesting. Well, and we also, when we think about um, emerging technology trends that you're paying the most attention to, we've certainly mentioned a few times machine learning and how ML is playing such a big role in cybersecurity <clears throat> on both the offense and the defense side, because it's there's just as many of these tools that the bad guys uh, have access to as the good guys. But, and that, and, and from there, we moved on to talking about a trend you're seeing in the software as a service, the ransomware as a service. Is there uh, any sort of specific advice or warning that you want to pass along to other CIOs who are listening about how they can learn more about this or um, how you, you know, essentially can avoid be becoming one of the victims? Again, embracing the zero trust as your core security mm -hmm. uh, architecture principles is, is very key for that. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, move away from trust, but verify, but move to more verify and trust. Trust mm -hmm. nothing. Trust no device, no network, nothing. Okay. Uh, uh, as an example that we had before, just because you're a network doesn't mean you're trusted. You always have to constantly verify, making sure, okay, every two hours you go in and check the policies. Mm -hmm. Something like that. This is an example continue to embrace that zero trust is going to enable you to have enough visibility. Again, in cybersecurity, there is no fix all solution or a solution, okay, deploy this and you're good. It's, it's about managing the risk. That's mm -hmm. key for cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. How well can you manage your risk prevention? If something happens, what, what are your, um, how, do you, uh, how do you make sure that it is not becoming a bigger issue than what it was and what kind of controls you have in place? Mm -hmm. So that plays a bigger role in making sure that you are, you need to take for granted that, I mean, that something's going to happen and then just be prepared for that. Right. And then ensure that you have proper controls and especially with remote workforce, you need to, the more data you can collect on, on the activity stuff in terms of network traffic and looking for anomalies and then there are tools, vendors, partners that can enable that uh, you don't have to do it on your own. I mean, you can bring in a solution that can bring some AI-enabled network monitoring. Mm -hmm. That will give you better visibility. So look at those solutions mm -hmm. so that you're augmenting your core team, your core security team with the proper tools and technology, and then at the end of the day, you're mitigating or managing the risk. Yes. Okay. Good. Good advice. Um, one of the other things I wanted, we've talked to, we've mentioned um, in almost all of your answers, you've talked about the people aspects of how all this change has to take place. Talent acquisition, what sort of strategies uh, have you been deploying personally? Is there a data-driven approach to that where machine learning ends up being part of your hiring process? And also, is it super easy for you to find the talent you need? I mean, you're a growing cybersecurity company. You're based in Denver, but you 70% of your folks are working remotely already. So is finding cybersecurity talent just a snap for you or how how difficult is it oh i wish it is but it is not i mean mm -hmm. just to give a little bit of industry perspective there are three million cybersecurity jobs worldwide open positions today wow out of those mm -hmm. 500 000, uh, 500 000 positions are in us mm -hmm. so wow demand for cybersecurity is high uh, there's definitely scarcity in terms of resources mm -hmm. this is where uh, we are looking at all different avenues starting with university relationships, working Good. with the universities mm -hmm. to build, to bring some talent from, from entry level uh, who have, uh, many universities have those programs, so we are partnering with them mm -hmm. to bring in the talent. That's one avenue that we're looking at. Even within the organization, from a retention perspective, retaining talent, 
Uh, one of the key aspects uh, that I uh, emphasize a lot is back to that empathy that we that we are uh, kind of um, working with our business partners and having that empathetic approach. Mm-hmm. CIOs need to, uh, the way I look at it, I mean, we need to have similar approach to our, our people within the IT organization, our leadership at multiple levels and create a sense of purpose. And how do you try their purpose to the business outcome? That's when you can see, okay, I'm working on something that is actually going to add value to the organization yeah. or to a project that has a business outcome that has, that is going to deliver value. Mm-hmm. Once you create that sense of purpose, the conversation goes beyond your compensation, it goes beyond, okay, I'm doing something that I feel good about. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I mean, we are all humans. We are all built of, built with uh, tons of chemicals in there and it, mm-hmm. the chemicals react. So it goes down to that level of how do we bring that that uh, that uh, empathy into into how do we run our organizations. That's something that I'm very passionate about that we all need to be looking at it from from an analyst level, from a developer, senior developer uh, mm-hmm. within your organization and have some career paths layout for them. If some of them could be interested in building their career mm-hmm. to be an architect. Some of them could be interested in more people management. Maybe that's an aspect that they like. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you have multiple opportunities, growth opportunities at multiple levels within your organization. Mm-hmm. That's one way to retain talent. So far, we've been pretty successful, but still attracting talent and keeping talent within our within our industry is is a big challenge. Yeah. Well, and I know just from looking at your career background, you are deeply technical yourself. You've been an enterprise architect. You've led those sorts of teams. What drew you into eventually becoming a CIO? What what because you've clearly got tons of technical talent. What made it? Uh, and I know it's not the big huge paycheck. That there's a lot more. There's a lot more involved. Um, so what brought you into kind of a leadership pathway in your own uh, career? Yeah, I mean. It's, I think at, uh, at the early stages of my career, when I was a developer and then kind of growing up into an architect enterprise and all that, I, I mean, absolutely love that piece of uh, just the solutioning, designing, the engineering of mm-hmm. uh, something. But I think at some point I realized that, okay, what am I trying to do? What, whatever I'm doing, how is the time to the business? And that's where I realized, okay, I need to know, okay, why deliver this project and then deliver the feature functionality that they're looking for or develop the code. How is, how is that having an impact on the business, actual okay. business? I mean, is someone paying for that service that we are developing? So that's where I started to realize, okay, I need to figure out how kind of learn more about the, about the business, how, mm-hmm. how the business operates and then simple and then how do we make money Yeah, uh, is where I started. And then that's when I realized, okay, I need to augment that with, with education and I went down and uh, got an MBA so that I can get to know the terminology, the business uh, mm-hmm. framework so that I can start to apply that. And then as I started to go, I just got excited. This is mm. this is more than just uh, developing code or building systems. It's more at a, at a people level. This is where you connect to the people. And then now you can, you can the technology, even I'm reading um, Michael Dell's new book, uh, Play Nice But Win. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting story. I mean, he's like, I mean, technology, his his statement there is technology realizes the full potential of people. It's just an enabler. Mm-hmm. Then now that it comes down to people and then uh, and, uh, realizing their full potential using technology. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I, mean, the, uh, I really enjoy my role working with closely with the business on strategy, co-creating solutions. And then at the end of the day, seeing the value of that, whatever we build, dollop, deliver is ultimately providing value to the business. 
Well, and that's, uh, and that's also related to another question I'd like to ask about how you keep educating yourself as a CIO and a leader. Um, are there podcasts that you love to listen to? Uh, you mentioned the Michael Dell book, and he actually is, is not just brilliant, but a famously nice guy as well. And um, <laughs> you can't say that about every tech titan, certainly. Um, but when you think about the things that have had the biggest influence on you, is there anything you would recommend to to other aspiring leaders or even fellow CIOs? I enjoy these kind of conversations where it is more uh, one-on-one, uh, kind of mm-hmm. gets more to the human level conversations. I really enjoy your podcast with, with the leadership series that you have. That's something that I I, I visit your CIO.com and then look at all the videos. So definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to mm-hmm. pitch for you here. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been very valuable because it's just, I mean, it's like, it's not. It's not a, like a training or a, like a like a with a fixed agenda. It's more kind of okay, free form conversation. It's open ended, yeah. Goes to multiple different levels. It just opens up the conversation. So I definitely enjoy those. I mean, I do enjoy any kind of. Come uh, uh, I mean, technology books are always uh, mm-hmm. very exciting. Just looking at the latest trends in technology and all that. Uh, I mean, like we mentioned, Michael Dell's book is something that I'm reading right now. So that's uh, hearing from the CEOs. And kind of, uh, kind of yes. hearing, okay, how, how do they run organizations like this gives a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I really enjoy just, I mean, now that we are doing a lot of uh, virtual meetings, but I do enjoy having those, uh, attending those conferences mm-hmm. uh, and then having those one-on-one conversations on just tell me I'm running into this problem or I have an issue here. Just help me yes. understand that. Well, and- definitely help. Back when we used to, and thank you very much for the compliment about the show. I swear I wasn't fishing for it, um, the uh, because I've been, we're entering into our fourth year now with CIO Leadership Live, and we've got I've had over eighty of these interviews with CIOs, and I've yet in all those interviews I've never had a single moment when it wasn't just an interesting conversation. So it's always great to talk to CIOs. One of the uh, leadership podcasts that I'm a huge fan of, and I keep dropping her name everywhere, is. Bern- Renee Brown's Dare to Lead. And she asks, she's just the best question asker. And one of the questions that she often asks, she interviews all sorts of um, book authors and famous sociologists and scientists, and even people in the technology industry uh, as well. And she will ask this question about what is the single best piece of leadership advice you got that you have to keep learning over and over again because it was so good you want to keep it close and alternatively what was the very worst one that you ever heard that you're really glad you dropped immediately or something along those lines and in terms of could you come up with two of those one your very best piece of leadership advice and then the worst one you ever heard and you're glad you didn't listen always learning Mm-hmm. Is something that that is very key for me. Constant learning. Every, any time, every time that I get an opportunity to learn something, that could be just an article, uh, online, or or listening to a podcast, or maybe taking some specific core uh, courses, and then doing some self reflection on how okay, you need to be better than yesterday. You got to you got to you got to learn something new today that made you better than yesterday. Mm-hmm. So that always learning is something that I'm very passionate about. Yes. Uh, in terms of uh, let go of something, I mean, I think I mean one thing that I yeah, ego plays a big role in in these uh, positions, <laughs> and that's something that I um, 
that I advise and then that that I that I kind of tell myself is to leave that at the door. Don't mm-hmm. don't bring that into the conversation. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're just working with people. Everyone has the right intention. You you assume there's a positive intent in everything mm-hmm. and take that approach. All right. Well, very well done. And thank you very much. I totally put you on the spot. You were not expecting that question. And I was thinking about even applying to myself, the one, the worst piece of leadership advice I ever heard, which I got rid of immediately was that what you want to do in your career is keep managing bigger and bigger groups of people. Because, you know, that's essentially all about how powerful are you and what's your title. And, and I've had various titles throughout my own career. And probably some of the ones I enjoyed the least were, you know, like the EVP levels where it was just so much heartache. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for your time today, Sujan. It's been really great to have this conversation with you. And um, if, you, uh, if you joined us late today, please don't worry. You can watch the full episode. We'll still be here on LinkedIn later on today. And then it will also show up on CIO.com and on YouTube's IDG Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you all enjoyed the conversation today with CIO Sujan Turlapati of Optive as much as I did. And that you will tune in next month after we get through the holidays. We will be back kicking off the 2022 season of CIO Leadership Live, where we're, I think next year we'll be ticking over the 100 mark with 100 conversations with CIOs. Um, Thanks again so much for joining us today. And do please take a moment to subscribe to IDG Tech Talk on YouTube, where you can find all of the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. I keep encouraging people to binge their way through them, but I haven't heard from anybody yet who is doing that. But I I will remain hopeful. (laughs) Thanks so much again. Stay well. And we'll see you here after the holidays in January as we kick off the new year. Take care.